It was honestly mostly because I just wanted to make sure I had the right person in my head because obviously I know your voice pretty well. Right. Uh, obviously, I think I've probably you know probably heard like several hours worth of you speaking on various topics. You're quite a funny guy as well as obviously totally uh, a professional person. I've always found that a nice combination, a combination of professional and comedic. Because obviously, stand-up comedians, you know, they're brilliant, they're they're savants, they're so ones wonderful, very but unprofessional. Like, where are they going to be when you need the rent at the end of the month? You know, under some under some overpass somewhere, getting like a hand job for like a, a rock of crack or half a scabby of uh, meth. I don't even know what you call a little bit of meth. Anyways, this is all appropriate conversation for my lawyer. I'm really glad you're here because mm -hmm. I got too. three I got three skeebies. I don't know what my what my legal rights are. Um, I don't understand. What's a skeeby? I'm not sure either. I'm making up like I'm making up a completely unique. Street lingo. Okay, I see. Anyways, Jeff, let's get started here. Um, Jeff. Tell Come me on. about your tell me about your background. Oh, my background? Mm -hmm. I think I ripped it off from Chrono Cross, everyone's least favorite video game on the PS1, I guess. But That's I just because Chrono Trigger was so her heralded that by comparison it dwarfs the reputation of Chrono Cross we don't, we don't, as successor. We don't, we don't have time to debate this, man. We're gonna be yeah, here all day. Hold on, everybody. Like, order, order. Let me start the show, okay? Uh, on a world spinning its way to damnation amidst the fear and despair of a broken human race, who is left to fight for what's good and pure? That's right, it's night rule. I'm joined today by Ronald Reagan and uh, Jeff from Georgia. Welcome, gentlemen. I, I, I also debating. fight for truth and justice and all that stuff. It's true. Yeah, this is exactly. Like a, with me and Jeff, this is like a, one of those Avenger movies. It kind of is. It's like, it's like Join, joining forces. We need like yeah. one or two more of the regular callers in. Like maybe we can get Mindy. I don't think we do. I think no. No, yeah. Mindy's like Hawkeye. We don't we don't need her. But well, why don't we like bring we'll, like we'll bring them in exactly like kidding. Hawkeye without their own origin story. You know, we're not going to invest money in like building them up or anything. Mm -hmm. But they'll just show up and they'll be no, there you, as got, like window dressing while we do the Superman thing and just punch. So you've got Captain America here. You've got Iron Man right here. Like what else? That's the really the core is right there, right? Like yeah, we don't really even need anyone else. Like yeah, maybe we could get like John from San Antonio's Thor. Or something that would be all right, maybe, but we're like, we're set. Down with that. <laughs> we have a multi billion dollar uh, sort of like project right in front of you, everyone. <laughs> um, so actually, exactly. it's, it's very uh serendipitous that I have you both here because I did recently come across some very scandalous video. I don't know if you've seen this, I'm sending you a link right now. This is posted to uh, my YouTube channel, Night Rule. Please like and subscribe. Please visit us at Patreon at patreon.com slash night rule. Do you think when Leonardo da Vinci was uh, searching for patrons in medieval Venice that he would have to append every statement with please like and subscribe? Do you think that was a thing back then? No, it was a little yeah. bit easier in some ways because you uh, you either really made it or you really didn't as a creative type. Right. <laughs> Until you get to like Mozart who half makes it 
and uh, supports himself to his like, I don't know, like 33 or something. <laughs> and then dies of like some easily preventable disease. It's <laughs> like buried in, a, buried in a mass grave, if I'm not mistaken. I've seen the film Amadeus at least three times. Classic I don't remember. Film. It's been a long, I don't, it's been a long time since music school. So I don't remember all his biography, but I do know he uh, didn't really make it. He tried to do the independent composer thing without a patron and do the thing where he was just like, nah, my work is so good. Like, like, and subscribe everyone. And it sort of worked for a few years, but he never really made enough money. It wasn't really till Beethoven. Beethoven well, they only had really MySpace the back guy. then. It was like a completely different, <laughs> completely different paradigm they were working under. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining me, gentlemen. This is kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of an impromptu call, but I, I do have. Uh, I figured since we have a legal mind on here, I'm not sure what the billable hours policy is right now for podcasting. Um, the clock's running. That's all I know. The clock's so running. Yeah. So I think I, let's 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 get into let's get into some of the topics facing me. You know, besides the uh, the charges, uh, the casino just formally filed this morning. We're going to talk about that on a separate call. Get Rudy in on that one. I want to make sure we got the full brain trust. Um, so I was curious, actually, Ronald Reagan. So you're an immigration lawyer. I think you're probably well exposed to the panoptic nature of the uh, immigration enforcement apparatus. And I wanted to ask, as a legal mind. Is, pan, is the panopticon or panopticism something that you've come across as like an idea? And is it something we could potentially talk about? Have you heard about this, Jeremy Bentham, prison designer? I don't even know that word that you're saying. What is that word? It's, am I, am I'm I vaguely familiar with it. Isn't it. It's about like a prison architecture. Prison architecture, yeah. So it was, a, it was like a utilitarian philosopher, Jeremy Bentham, in I think the 18th century design this 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 one was built in france and basically the, are you regretting the way... are you regretting having me on already no not at all <laughs> not at all we're gonna we're gonna get into all kinds of like lawyer jokes in a little bit here don't worry we're gonna bring it bring it back down but like this is the okay. part like night rule is kind of like a little party so the way i like to start a party you know to be a good host generally in real life back when parties were a thing i'm, I'm not sure if that might be civilizational lost mm -hmm. knowledge at this point but i always like to bring up a really deep and interesting philosophical question just to put everyone a little like make everyone a little uncomfortable because they're like oh it's, shit like are we here to talk about this shit like what it's the an fuck? alpha it's an alpha move you're just trying to yeah it's true you're swinging it around showing <laughs> off your vocab anyways make, no but seriously okay. you're the first you're the first lawyer that's been on the podcast okay so i've got mm -hmm. like this pent-up thing okay so the panopticon was a prison where you built a big ring and all the cells are on the outside of this big ring right and then in sure. the middle you have a guard tower and the guard tower can rotate. So it's basically a mechanism to be able to view the prisoners more efficiently so you can employ fewer guards because you just have this centralized watchtower and then they're all on the outside. But what they found was that because the prisoners didn't know when they were being watched and when they weren't being watched, they, uh, they would assume that they were always potentially being watched. And over years, they would like literally lose their minds and they all would like become deeply insane and deeply troubled from this. And then mm -hmm. cultural theorists use this as a metaphor to say that culture and politics and society can be panoptic. You know, like a feminist scholar would say there's a panoptic nature to the way like uh, patriarchy views women and and their women feel like they're always being watched and they need to self-modulate their own behavior. And it's kind of this idea of like the legal apparatus being like so kind of undifferentiated that it actually has this like profoundly weird and deep effect on like the human psyche. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, yeah. like, is is that is like from someone who's actually been on the ground? You're an immigration lawyer, obviously. Um, 
you know, I'm sure you've worked a lot of different cases. You've, you've, you've worked with a lot of people that have probably kind of been under the brunt of various state apparatuses. And like, does that affect their psychology you think in like in unpredictable and, and bizarre ways? Oh yeah, for sure. And actually I've been doing this for uh, about 10 years, but it was last year I had this case that really um, I think highlights this point that you're making. So there are certain types of removal defenses where you have to prove in order to avoid deportation that the kids or the spouse or the parent, if they have legal status, will suffer some sort of extreme hardship if the if the uh, foreign national is deported. It has to be above and beyond what you would normally expect from a deportation. And so we had this case with uh, only one qualifying relative and she was a teenage daughter. She was born in the United States. She was like 18, about to go off to college. No major medical issues, the kinds of things that you would normally um, you know, look for in a case like this. And so we were sort of grasping at straws. We had her go do a mental health uh, evaluation with the forensic mental health evaluator. And it came back that um, when her mom was arrested by uh, ICE the first time, um, well, first and only time, the mom was going to school to drop off uh, this girl who was a, like 11 at the time. And so they pulled her over, they arrested her, and then ICE took her to school and dropped her off, having just taken the mom, who was a, a single mother, not that it would really matter if she was happily married, it, it's still mm. just as bad. And the, the evaluator, I think, did a good job of teasing this out and showing how this had really um, stunted certain aspects of her, uh, her development. She was overly dependent on uh, her mother in a way that you wouldn't normally expect to see for somebody her age. Um, she was, you know, uh, afraid to be alone or for her mom to be alone. Things that, I mean, of course, right? And so... Um, even though I've done this for a long time, it didn't even really occur to me to look under that rock. It's, it's, it's obvious now in retrospect, but, um, and I have other clients who have been in removal proceedings for, um, five or six years. And these are people who are on the radar. So they know they have hearings coming up or they have regular check-ins with ICE. And I can see how, it's just, uh, it wears on people. It really wears them down. And then even for people who are off the radar, people who don't have, um, you know, who don't have uh, hearings or anything, we get a lot of questions that are very, very, um, on the one hand, they seem paranoid, but on the other hand, they're perfectly rational when you consider the types of real, threats that exist. So there will be rumors that go around that ICE is at Walmart, right? And don't go to Walmart. There's a Facebook groups where these things get passed around or, or you know, what happens if um, I get $5 in food stamps for my child? They, people have an idea that the government is all just one big thing. And if my kids get food stamps, all of a sudden, there's a black helicopter that's going to swoop in and and we'll all be arrested and so um 
you know, it's, it's a weight that I try to understand, but I don't think I can totally um, understand. Yeah, it's, it's probably true. Like for me too, like, I mean, um, I've, I've led a pretty comfortable life. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where like the, there was a state apparatus that was just this ungeneralized, omnipresent potential kind of threat always on the horizon. Um, you know, it makes me think of like how um, things like, uh, again, like a, say like an immigration uh, system or the, the laws around immigration or, or law enforcement in general um, and the, the state apparatuses and legal apparatuses, but also, you know, there's, there's people like you, we have this adversarial legal system with defense and prosecution. And like, to what extent as an immigration lawyer would you say is, you know, you've got these laws and uh, law enforcement that are kind of dehumanizing people. And then a defense attorney like yourself is actually gonna come in and try and humanize the people for in front of a judge to say, look, these are actually people and this is their story. And this is, you see it from their perspective. Like, is it fair to say that that's a pretty huge component of like what you do or am I way off base there? Uh, no, for sure. I mean, um, that's a, a, a lot of what we do is storytelling and trying to uh, tell the story of our clients, you know, where they're from, uh, what their family life was like growing up, um, the kinds of things that they do um, and, and what motivates them. And then at least in the removal context, you're trying to um, put the judge in the position where he gets to be the hero of the story, right? Like you get to write this this wrong that could happen, um, or you get to be the one who uh, makes this right. And so, and uh, you wanna think that the judges are, you know, fair arbiters or following the law in a consistent way. And, and at the end of the day, you start to see um, they're just not. And, and uh, you have to learn sort of their individual characteristics and the things that the judges really care about or want to see um, and and learn to tailor your case to the particular judge that you have um, but yeah that's a huge part of it um, and especially since like the I mean typically if you're in removal proceedings this isn't always the case but you've got some sort of criminal history some sort of encounter and there's huge numbers of people including you know, liberal Democrats who think like, well, yeah, he's got kids and he's, you know, worked here for 20 years, but he did a DUI. And so, you know, he, <laughs> he shouldn't have done, he so shouldn't. The, so the penalty for that ought be exile, like, <laughs> right. like you know, Roman empire style. Right, yeah. and, and if he didn't, if he didn't want to be in this situation, shouldn't, shouldn't have, have drink and drop. shouldn't have DUI'd. And so, um, and I'm not pro DUI, but I will say most of those liberal Democrats or judges have probably DUI'd. Well, like, where does this where does this moralism <laughs> come from? Then there's like this base, like quasi puritanical moralism that you see still still see just pop up all the time. You know, like a so there was some judge in Canada that famously said it was like a, a rape case where this young girl had been assaulted. I think she was 14 at a mall, and he said something like, "Oh, well, you didn't go there dressed in petticoats," type thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's like, like, where is, is that mm -hmm. kind of like weird, bizarre, quasi-religious moralism, mm -hmm. something that you have to work against constantly where you're like, okay, well, this person 
just like sees things in moral terms and they they consider themselves in some kind of moral in-group like i mean there's a lot of right-wing evangelical type judges i would imagine mixed in to the system right Republican yeah appointed. yeah there's there's a lot of that and it manifests itself in different ways um some judges are very um particular about taxes we had a guy who his case was perfect but he had one dependent who was like a nephew from literally seven years prior and the judge set the case over so he could get his taxes fixed the judge was like very angry about it. and the judge is not a tax lawyer he doesn't really right. know if he could claim this nephew or whatever um but it, on the other hand, I've had white collar tax lawyers tell me your tax returns are just a first draft. Like right. you said, you send the IRS, whatever. And then <laughs> that's, that's a really good hand gesture for that. Whatever. And then <laughs> if they correct you, then, okay, well, let's get around to doing the second draft. So mm. when it comes to white collar folks, that's the attitude. I think it, you know, that everybody sort of understands and expects. Um, but mm. for immigrants, it's like, wow, I can't believe that you claimed uh, a child that our complicated tax code says you can't technically claim. Mm. And the benefit for that was, you know, some small uh, addition to your tax return. But yeah, I think some of it, I mean, this gets a, it's a complicated question, like where this comes from, but mm. I think some of it at least um, comes from our sort of either belief or hope that things are fair and make sense. Yeah, and so, which is something I wanted to get to. Yeah, but totally. Like, if if the world is just, then whatever's happening, whatever terrible thing that's happening to this person must have been for a reason. And if I'm about to deport you, it must be because you deserve it. Um, and, and you're not, you're the instrument of, of justice or or what is right somehow right yeah like instead I mean of, yeah instead of it reminds me like uh, Chapo recently had an interesting take I think they were talking about law and order and how like how old law and order really doesn't hold up anymore because you watch old law and order now and it's like Sam Waterston is just like standing up for what's right you know kind of the the inheritor of like that Atticus Finch from Kill a Mockingbird tradition of like the lawyer making the great case and saving the day in a system that works it's like nobody can fucking look at the old law and order and like that world where the system works and we believe in it is like long past I would say something Prime. more I would say something more broadly about this sort of phenomenon in America because I think you got you both caught on to something very important to me that's way bigger than anything we've talked about so far. Please, we're being presided over by just sir, the judge Jeff Hisdudness presiding. Well, I, uh, yeah, honorable right. judge. You couldn't find anyone least less qualified for that. Uh, no, I what I wanted to say though is that um, this is a little bit dark, I suppose, but more and more in the economy, law, immigration. Uh, even just the general sort of like life milestones that people are traditionally supposed to hit, starting a family, getting a good job, benefits, saving for retirement, buying a house, et cetera, like acquiring material prosperity and, uh, you know, a free existence in America. There is more and more in myriad ways, different sects of people who have all reacted to it differently, but all have caught none of the same thing, which is that nobody really believes in this, this anymore like people are more and more figuring out like money fake 
Okay. If you really want to get ahead in the world, what you do is you like you get lucky with fucking GameStop shit, or you fucking cryptocurrency mine, or start a fake Dogecoin, yeah, which is now it, like worth more than it. four, or you just take out what a bunch of like free Amazon. money, or you just take yeah. out a bunch of free money from the government because the Federal Reserve just makes it out of thin air, and it can actually just make money totally. appear in people's bank accounts. People know this now, and and people also know intuitively through like forty years at least of stagnant wage growth that getting a job and working hard and playing by the rules, mm. your efforts won't be rewarded. Probably not. Not even if you're a white dude like me and, and you guys anymore in America. And this is just one more example of of how like our confidence in it's also it's a lot of times described by liberals as a loss of confidence in institutions, and that's mm. fine enough, I guess. But I think it's even deeper than that because a lot of these like this mm. is not so much about institutions. There's a very way of life, the way that we've structured American society to perform nobody really believes in it anymore everyone recognizes at some level that the only rational choices for you as an individual are cheat <laughs> or to try to like uh, escape in some way mm. that's mm. it yeah i think i think it, it's it's definitely a, a, like a, a really important point to like not like it's not as, it's not just about confidence in the legal system there's a confidence in in all all elements of the social order i think um I actually had a good idea for a TV show. Okay, it's about it's about a ragtag trio of people who take the law into their own hands, quote unquote. But uh, really, we're just a ragtag group of uh, attorneys fighting against the evil guys. You know, standing up for the little guy. I call it Retainer. Is the name of the show. What do you think? You guys down? No, uh, maybe, I feel like they already made that. Isn't isn't that JFK by Oliver Stone? <laughs> there was actually in the '90s there was an amazing. It might have been a Canadian show. I think it was called Dark Justice. It was about a lawyer who gave up on the legal system. He lost faith in the legal system, so he became like this biker vigilante. It was amazing. It was amazing. There's got to be a comic book hero where like there's some lawyer who gets it's like, like every Daredevil. Daredevil, like, yeah. Is he he's a lawyer who gets disillusioned basically? But doesn't he keep practicing law though? That's true. Like, he does that, keep practicing. So I, I'm thinking about one that just totally like says, "Fuck it!" Like the law is bullshit. Like I'm gonna start carrying a 357 Magnum and wearing a ski mask, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, actually, on the same topic though, uh, Raygun. Like, as someone who works in the legal profession and also exists in a world where you know uh, the de the depictions of the legal system and all kinds of legal themed stories are just omnipresent, you know. What is, what is it like to interact with clients who may have been watching CSI or Law and Order or whatever the fuck else for six hours a day before coming and talking to you? Like, does that, is that something you have to like fight against people's perceptions of like what's real and what's not and, and their, their impressions of what the legal system is just from like TV and movies? I just imagine your job is exactly like Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Um... Probably a little different with immigration law. Yeah, most of my clients are Spanish speaking and and they consume uh, media that's probably quite different from mine. And also there's not like a ton of depictions of, of uh, immigration stuff in popular media. There's that's just, true. There's, there's not a lot. I, what I would say is just going back to what we we're talking about before, there is this sense that like Hey, this thing that you're telling me, this result that you know, I, I came to you to figure out how I could get my green card, and you're saying it's literally impossible. Like, how could that possibly? Like, it doesn't mm. com it doesn't compute because 
people, first of all, see other people around them getting status who they feel are less deserving. Um, and then they, they, they look at their own life and they say, well, I'm a good person. I, I pay my taxes or whatever. And they're disqualified because of some bullshit. And so yeah. the, the, I don't know about specific media that they've consumed, but people do come, in, come to it with a, a sense that there will be some fairness to this. And I, I often tell people, whatever you think the, the, the process should be, it's gonna be the opposite. So if you think mm. that like, it should be this way, it's gonna be something. Totally yeah, if you if you walk in and you're thinking, oh, I've, I've got a really good case, I bet. I bet when I talk to the lawyer, he's gonna be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be pretty easy actually. Maybe we can just take <laughs> yeah. care. And yeah. you're gonna walk in there and be like, oh, you know, actually your case is, uh, you know, according to some, you know, of our like incredibly Byzantine immigration laws. Mm. Yeah, people you know, like, will come you in. You can't come will, in, you can't say. Yeah, people will come in thinking they have three or four options and instead it's like, you could be arrested at any moment and you'd have virtually no rights and you'd be deported and you'd be facing a 20 year bar to reentry. Yeah. Mm. No, ma no matter what family you have or whatever the, the equities. The other, the other dynamic that we see from uh, white people, I've talked about this before, I think, but- Oh, I think um, I know what you're gonna say. White people love to come to a consultation with their Hispanic. And it's usually a grower or a farmer. Sometimes it's like, she, you know, he cuts my grass. First of all, like, you don't need to fucking be here. Like, this isn't about you. I don't know why you came. You know, you're, they make a big deal about how they paid for the consultation or whatever. And, and then they think that they have some sort of white magic wand that they can wave, you know, by virtue of being a white person. <laughs> Less explicitly than this, but this is the you know the no they're checking off they're checking off the but I'm white box on the form, which sometimes works in their in their you know in their defense that is a checkbox you can check off. Like I remember I was I was thinking about applying for a job in China and there was a checkbox on that <laughs> application form, for example. So it's a, it's a little hard to understand when that checkbox will apply. Well, that's a good point. It's probably a learned behavior. I mean, they oh, didn't sure. come they didn't come up with this out of nowhere. This is something that's worked for them before. Uh, and it's the way that society is structured. And so, um, and you see it enough that it's, you know, okay. But they come in and they think that they can do something. And I had one lady come in with a Scandinavian, a former Scandinavian uh, exchange student who was back visiting. And uh, she's like, we've decided we're gonna wait on citizenship. And for, and for now, we're just gonna, we're just going to get like a work permit. And he's here as a tourist. Like you're not allowed to work even for five minutes. Um, you're not allowed to do anything but take pictures and buy souvenirs and then like get the fuck out of here. And so I told her like, well, he's bilingual. The best thing he could do is go home, um, apply to a university in the United States, pass the TOEFL English proficiency exam, and then hopefully uh, get a, a non-immigrant student visa. Mm. And she later emailed me to, to tell me that uh, I'd really ruined his dreams and that um, I, I was the worst lawyer. And, <laughs> and, and how, un oh, and how unfair it is, of course, that the sure. Mexicans um, who do things the wrong way, of course, 
they get all the benefits mm. in, in her mind. But that's her, not a, that's not a good place to go, lady. Yeah. But not her right. good Scandinavian exchange student, you know, gets left out. So, yikes! Tragic. Tragic. Yeah, I think I think you distilled the 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 value. I mean, this is why these billable hours on the call today are worthwhile because you you right. just distilled what being a lawyer is where you sit down, sit the person down and say, whatever you think the process should be and is, it's the opposite. Because mm -hmm. that's a very, that's a big coming to Jesus moment. That's a road to Damascus moment. I like that. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, like, now this is kind of like a broad topic as well. We'll have, we'll have to pick up the conversation another day, but people say that, you know, America is a country of lawyers. I'm sure you've heard that. Like in terms of the government, the like uh, the gov the most government, like a huge percentage are lawyers, right? Just and that's part of kind of the cult, or or at culture. least have law degrees, you know. Yeah, I mean, degrees. I'm not gonna. <laughs> we could go through their credentials. I'm sure some of them are better credentialed than others, but I just say they're not really like attorneys, they, like because they don't practice. They don't really practice mm -hmm. law. You need a law mm -hmm. degree to do whatever. Yeah, that's right. true. That's true. That's a good point. But you know, people say conversely that like China is a country of engineers, you know, when I think of when I heard you talking about how you have to know the judge and his tendencies, it's probably not too dissimilar from someone in China trying to get something done, having to know the party officials and who and what their tendencies are and how to kind of move them. But like, would you bet like, let's say over like a 100 year time span, would you bet on a country made up of a government comprised mainly of lawyers? or a government comprised mainly of engineers? Who do you think is gonna win in that fight in the long run? <laughs> Whether you're a Bolshevik or not. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. I'm critical of the Chinese state. I think all nation states do horrible stuff, pretty much. Not equally, of course. But uh, as a lawyer, are you, are, you on team, are you on team lawyer still, would you say? Team lawyer. Um, no, I, I don't think I'm on team lawyer. I actually think that lawyer, I, I know I've said this before. I think lawyers have the same problem that cops do, which is that it's a it's a fraternity that doesn't like snitching, and so it becomes uh, very insular and self-protecting. Um, the guy who hired me out of law school, his big dream was to become like the McDonald's of immigration law, law firms, like to have an office in every city, and then he gets to just get money for existing. From all these little offices and he doesn't have to do much other almost than like, like legal zoom before legal zoom or something yeah exactly yeah. and it didn't he opened a bunch of offices i left after one year but he opened a bunch of offices had thousands of clients and then last year he decided he was just going to stop doing that slash paying his bills and declare bankruptcy which he hasn't filed for so mm -hmm he committed theft on a huge scale. I mean, I've talked to dozens of his former clients who paid six, seven, $8,000 for a process that was barely started or halfway started. And, and it's not like this guy, he's not on any kind of restitution plan or anything. He just walked away and it took forever for the bar to even take action against him. And as far as I know, there's there's no criminal case yeah. for a guy who stole what has to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've I've also heard that generally, like to to have somebody brought up and effectively disciplined in front of a bar hearing composed of other lawyers is incredibly rare. It right. barely ever happens. 
Okay, yeah, well, so, here's so anyways, I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know about your question. I'm not smart enough to like, <laughs> to answer it su sufficiently, but I, I have major issues with, um, with my profession. Well, I mean, actually, but let's, uh, I like to put a positive spin on things, especially in the wind down portion of the show. So let's say, let's say I was looking for an insular um, brotherhood that I could enter and then who then would protect me in spite of my moral um, failings and any kind mm -hmm. of like criminal oh, yeah. or quasi or criminal adjacent actions I might be, I might pursue under my remit, just my personal interests. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could I, I, I call that my remit. So, I mean, maybe I should go to law school. Maybe. No, I mean, you can, but then I would consider a career not in law, but in like central intelligence. <laughs> now, is it true that, is it true? I've heard, I've heard people say that like, for example, in Canada, it's really hard to get into law school or maybe it's the opposite. In Canada, it's really hard to get into law school, but once you do, you know, you'll, you'll finish. But then in America, it's really easy, but it's really hard to finish. Or is it the, is it the opposite? Because I know in America, you can also just, you can also just apply for the bar exam a la Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Catch Me If You Can. By the way, I just expect you to completely comment on anything I saw on a TV show or a movie. Uh -huh. um, I, do, I don't think you can just sit for the bar. I think that that's false. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't, and I also don't know. Could I sit, could I sit like at a bar? And maybe like talk to another lawyer and pretend I was a lawyer, a la that show Suits, where a yes. con man pretends to be a lawyer? Okay, you are allowed that's plan to do that. B. Okay, good. I mean, I don't know how it is now, but for years pre-pandemic, like it, it, it was there. There were too many law schools generating too many people with law oh, yeah. degrees for really? the amount of legal work in America that was available. And and so when driving, this trend, so they're, they're driving Ubers then, or what? I mean, yeah, a lot of them, and they didn't. They don't do lawyer. I mean, they're, a lot of them are lucky if they get paralegal work. So they like, were I, watching Better Call Saul and Law and um, Order, and they thought this is a good profession for me. Yeah, for for years they. Cab. For years, they turned those people out and they and they saddled them up with huge amounts of debt. And I I've read no indication that that trend has not continued. Like it, it is pretty hard to actually uh, become a lawyer who practices are, and like, are can there, survive in America. It, yeah, you know, I've tough. heard like when you look at the median income, actually, it's not that it's it's really not that much. So like, are there shady law schools in America? I mean, does yes. Trump University have a law school where they no. trick people? You're gonna you're gonna become this great lawyer and you pay them some incredible amount. Like I know there are actually, lots of the shady law schools. Are, lots of there were lots of for profit ones. And you I know, know that, I know that the down. system for like court transcribers, like to learn how to become a court transcriber is is a completely for-profit, ridiculously expensive thing that you're looking for. There's like one of only a few hundred jobs in the whole continent to be, because you have to learn the special typing or whatever it's, you know what I mean? Sure. And like, apparently it costs like 30 grand or whatever to go to school for like a year. And like, I if think, you're lucky, you'll get one of the few jobs. I think my poorly rated law school, University of Oregon uh, law school, and I don't, I'm going off of a, a really bad memory, but I'm pretty sure they got in some kind of trouble a few years back um, for inflating their uh, their employment numbers mm. and saying like everyone who goes here gets a job and it's amazing. And I went, I started law school in 2008 when it was like the economy's shit right now, but this will all be over by the time we graduate and we'll we'll be able to get jobs. I remember a classmate telling me that. And it wasn't true. <laughs> it was still really hard to get jobs. And so a lot of people ended up back at their old jobs. Um, you know, one, one person I went to school with, I know was back working at the Humane Society, which is great. Um, it's a great place to work. 
is not a great place to work if you've spent the last three years accumulating $150,000 in student debt. Mm. And now, and now you're making the $18 an hour or, you know, probably less that you were making before that. But he's a lawyer now, so he can just abscond and, and just run off and apparently like, no, one's going to prosecute him for just like fraud, fraudulent behavior. Like I feel as though you know, on a game of life level, even if I only have a 10% chance of becoming a working lawyer, I still have a hundred percent chance of attaining the kind of legal sheath to just go about my my business in, in society however I please. Like it sounds as though like becoming a lawyer is almost as though that guy who uh, you know created his forged paintings and then became a, a art appraiser to to validate his own forgeries. Mm-hmm. Like it's on that level. It really, I mean, having a lawyer is not a get get out of jail free card, but it seems like being a lawyer could be a little bit of a get out of jail free card. I mean. I'm joking on a certain level, of course. On a certain <laughs> on a certain level, the real get out of jail free card. I mean, being a lawyer would be good, but having money is the thing that you need to that that you need. If you have money, then you're at the right parties and you meet the right people and you're friends with you know all the right circles, and then you can really do what you want. Now now you're now it's next level. But if you if you're just a guy with a law degree, I don't think that gets you very far. Okay. Because I did see that, uh, you know, uh, Matt Damon's first big movie was uh, The Rainmaker. So, mm-hmm. and I saw that. So I don't know why you're being, you're the worst lawyer I've ever talked to. I can't believe you're crushing my dreams here. Like, it's just like. Actually, when I went to law school, they had a list of, um, for the summer before, like, here's some media that you can check out. <laughs> and one of the things on the list was that, that movie. That's hilarious. And so I watched it and I was like, I'm going to take down Big Tobacco or whatever it was. I'm more nice. of a 12 angry man kind of guy. Um, yeah. Oh, that's another great one. Listen, guys, uh, we're running out of time. Skynet is cutting us off in a minute and 48 seconds to uh, give me the funds to upgrade my microphone, uh, buy a teeth whitening kit, and upgrade my Zoom membership. Please visit us at patreon.com slash night rule. Also, just to signify that you're ready to say yes to life, visit us mm-hmm. at patreon.com slash night rule. <laughs> Fresh mixtape up. I hope, uh, speaking of uh, legal fees, um, I've been doing these mixtapes of some of my favorite music on Patreon, and I'm, I'm hoping that I won't achieve, uh, I, you can get an MA from DC University. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, the DC MA, Digital uh, Masters of Arts. No, anyways, mm. it's terrible. That's a, that's a legal joke. Okay, that went over like a lead fucking balloon. Anyways, if you want to get the mixtapes <laughs> before the corporation shut me down via DCMA, please sign up now. Um, so wonderful talking to you guys. Where can people follow you in the last minute here? Jeff? Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Jeff is Uh I'm also the host and proprietor of the Peasant Podcast. Also a Twitch stream at postpostrevolution.com. Yes, twitch.tv slash postpostrevolution. Check that out. Awesome. And uh, uh, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I'm at Yakima Abogado on Twitter. So, Are you still doing the Redirect podcast or is I, it on hiatus? No, I still do a podcast. It's called Redirect. You can find it on the internet yeah internet, I, I, internet.com <laughs> i really liked it a lot i haven't listened to it in a while so i got to catch up actually i need some fresh content so. you don't need to say that just say no, that I'm you listen it. just say that you listen to it i just i love it it's my favorite podcast i mean never, never miss an episode it's no great. i'm basically i'm basically looking at my phone 24 7 waiting um okay gentlemen enjoy the rest of your day and i'll catch up uh catch up with you real soon much appreciated much Thanks love for having me bye